0: Hey there and welcome back to Forbidden Cinema. I'm Zach. I'm Jenny. And we're back for what we call, uh, we're we're kind of figuring that out. We just keep
1: saying deep dive, so that's probably what's going to stick until we come up with something better.
0: (laughs) So yeah, we're back for for pop quiz to honor St. Keanu from Speed. We're back for going deeper. We're back for the deep dive. We're back to just talk about what we missed on the last episode, to answer a few questions, and to talk about what we're doing next. Yes. So I guess the first thing that we're gonna look into is what about Nancy's hair uh, had to do with Rogue from the X-Men. And what I have learned from that is, Looking back at the history of 1990s comic book characters is really hard, and (laughs) it makes my head hurt, and I don't want to do it anymore. There's movie continuity, there's television continuity, there's cartoon continuity, there is continuity from comic books, so basically, screw it. Uh, Maybe it was in about 2000, she always had a gray streak, but it didn't look anything like the gray streak on Nancy, so screw it whatever it, uh, it had was... to
1: been earlier than that because 2000 is too late for 2000 me 2000 is
0: anna paquin and the x-men movie if you go back and look at what i think what you're thinking of the iconic 1990s cartoon yes, series based the cartoon. on the claremont uh, x-men series uh, she's just really got kind of a huge poof going on that's that's gray on top there really is no streak
1: it's a streak enough it's reminiscent enough that someone who has big hair it's kind of reddish and she's got this southern accent and she comes in and, and tries to save the day she's there's a little homage in some sort of way whether someone has realized it or not
0: that hairstyle was born in 1993 so that was much after this
1: that hairstyle big that, hair has lived that, forever
0: that hairstyle on rogue was born in 1993 with x-men one
1: Big hair lives forever.
0: Okay. (laughs) So Jenny did say that the central theme of this film was parents just don't understand. Right.
1: Which I didn't even, when we were talking about it, make a reference back to the fact that you had talked about Fresh Prince
0: uh, and the Nightmare on My Street conversation. So yeah, so both Parents Don't Understand and Nightmare on My Street were both singles from DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince's. He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper album. Well, there we go. So moving on into the very first thing we even mentioned with this was that my best friend in third grade showed up wearing an airbrushed t-shirt with Freddy Krueger on it.
1: I really felt like it was a missed opportunity to talk about the prevalence of airbrushing during this time. So we grew up, and this is probably even later, but we grew up together in a religious church community. That's how we met as children, as teenagers. And we would make an a yearly um,
0: pilgrimage to pilgrimage, Panama yes. City Beach.
1: No, no, no. Well, that too. And to Gatlinburg, To Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg is specifically the pilgrimage that I'm referencing. And so for those of you who are not familiar with Gatlinburg, it is... A strip of a city, if you want to call it that. Um, the patron saint is Dolly Parton. She pretty much runs the place, and we
0: have learned that to be canonized in Catholicism, you do have to have two posthumous miracles. So Dolly Parton is largely responsible for the coronavirus vaccine and largely responsible for the repair of Tennessee post the uh, wildfires in the uh, Smoky Mountains a couple of years ago. So she does have at least two miracles during her lifetime, but I'm I'm, I'm concerned that the posthumous miracles are going to be difficult to come by.
1: They could be. I mean she did just recently, so there was a bill in place in the Tennessee legislature later um to replace to uh, a statue of her like to replace nathan bedford Forrest uh, with her and she said y'all there's bigger fish to fry we don't need a statue we don't need the attention to be on me if y'all want to do that after i'm gone that's up to y'all but i'm gonna ask you to remove this bill because we don't need that right
0: now so- i need more of dolly
1: Dolly's amazing, Um, but that's a little bit of a digression. But Gatlinburg. So Gatlinburg Gatlinburg is full of trinket shops, arcades, funnel cakes. You you just walk down the strip. If if those of you in Mid-America are familiar with Branson, Missouri, I get the impression that it's very similar. Um, But prevalence of airbrushed t-shirt shops. And I have a memory of going You know, went to on this trip with a little bit of of pocket money and decided that I would commission myself an airbrush t shirt Um, at the time I was on a swim team, we were the dolphins. I picked up this whole thing, what it was going to look like and then paid for it. And it was really expensive. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm in like seventh or eighth grade and the t-shirt is going to cost like over $20. Then we go and start walking the strip and I have a lot of buyer's remorse and I go back and I tell this airbrush t-shirt guy that I do not want this t-shirt and we had a little bit of a back and forth but he did give me my money back and I did not get said airbrush t-shirt I, I I came to my senses and realized this was not a legacy I needed to have I did not need to spend 20 something dollars on a t-shirt that I would wear once or twice that it would much be better spent at the arcade with a funnel cake or a footlong corn dog
0: my airbrush T-shirt had a guy on a surfboard, and it said "vertical" on it. That if any of you have ever met me,
1: nothing to do with you. <laughs> that is the least amount of anything to do with you.
0: <laughs> it was 1992, and Vision Streetwear was a thing, and that's life.
1: Yeah. So, airbrush T-shirt in scene.
0: I don't think end scene, because I feel like there are probably some intellectual property rights going on here. Probably so. There's probably some trademark violations into airbrushing Freddy Krueger onto somebody's t-shirt.
1: There probably is. I mean, I literally read an article today about Kat Von D, um, famous tattoo artist, being sued for tattooing a legendary photograph of Miles Davis onto someone. And the person who, the photographer who took that photograph is suing her for infringement, so...
0: So we're going to change gears 180 degrees here and talk about that Dairy Queen where I used to look <laughs> at the picture of the Nightmare on Elm Street poster. This Dairy Queen, I don't know if you've ever paid attention. Maybe this is something that you can remember. Maybe this is something that's never resonated with you before but pretty much every national campaign will always have in little letters down on the bottom valid at participating locations only right the only experience i have in my life of not a participating location is this dairy queen and we must have gone three times in my life Every time there was a commercial for a peanut Buster parfait or a dilly bar or something being cheap and it was not at this location and my mother would lose it.
1: <laughs> your, your mother honored nothing more than a deal. I mean she did she, well she did. I don't want I don't want to reduce her to that, but she did love her deals. And when it was not honored, it was a personal affront.
0: Absolutely. I feel like my experience with Dairy Queen is very akin to my experience with Red Lobster. There would always be some commercial on about so many shrimp for so many dollars. And we would go and she would want that. And like, oh, that promotion ended yesterday. And we would not then go to Red Lobster again for a decade. And (laughs) I would be denied Cheddar Bay Biscuits.
1: It's sad. I think that I feel like my only real experience with this is going to like Barnes and Noble where they proudly serve Starbucks coffee, Mm. but they don't actually, they're not actually a Starbucks, so they won't take your gift card.
0: Oh, that is harsh. Target takes the gift cards though, right?
1: They do. They do. So if Target can take it, what's going on with Barnes and Noble? Well, how many Targets are there and how many Barnes and Nobles are there? (laughs) Exactly. And we'll leave that there.
0: Okay. So you were really disappointed that we spent a digression on USA Up All Night, and you didn't get your a chance to do your Rhonda Sheer impression.
1: I know. My USA Up All Night.
0: There we go. <laughs> I will save you all, and I will not do my Gilbert Gottfried version.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. No. No one needs that.
0: Uh, the next thing that we were thinking about listening back to the episode was the difference between being 12 and being 40. And what exactly you get out of a movie like this. Does that change anything for you?
1: It doesn't change anything for me. I mean, I, I probably thought this was gross at 12 and if I was gross at 40. Um, <laughs> I thought the I wouldn't have been concerned with the thematics at 12 that maybe I was at 40. But no, not for me.
0: So I just went back to my difference between being 8 and 12. And the difference between being 8 and 12 was that between 8 and 12, all the guys had learned what breasts were. And then I think of 12 to 40 and breasts. And things are very different at 40 (laughs) than they were at 12. And I feel like I really missed an opportunity for this to be formidable. I don't think I'm going to look back at this and think, Those breasts, those are the ones I remember. Those are the ones that made me a man. Those are the ones that that changed my life. Do you
1: have a moment like that?
0: Do you really want me to get into it?
1: I don't think they see uh, eyebrow raises here.
0: I think at 40 and being with the same person for almost half of my life, there are some formidable moments (laughs) and they are not on a television screen.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Uh, So we also were talking about Larry Lawrence Fishburne. We were wondering when exactly he became Lawrence, when he stopped being Larry. Right.
1: I mean, I kind of thought it was a move into legitimacy. I think you did the research and Lawrence was begat um, during the classic um, Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It? And I guess... Love had everything to do with it.
0: Larry Fishburne died in Boys in the Hood. Uh, and Lawrence Fishburne rose from the ashes as Ike Turner. Do with that as you will.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a big,
0: big change. We also had some questions about nurses and when they stopped wearing their hats. So it turns out that nurses... Often wore hats into the mid '80s. This may not have been a complete fetish thing. This could have actually been what a nurse was wearing at the time. We discovered that uh, nurses' hats really kind of went out about the time that scrubs came into fashion.
1: So, w- do you think it was more about like what their roles were? Like, did, if they had like a truly like patient and of surgery or you know more aggressive type of um, relationship with the patient or whether they were kind of in reception
0: for someone that wears a lab coat a lot I think that the reason that you're in white is because it's easy to bleach right and maybe we shouldn't get too into that because there's some some grossness there
1: right but I don't imagine that those hats really hold up to being
0: washed or bleached in any kind of way I think the hat just kind of held on for a while. Just it was iconic. I think. Well, they had their their white dresses, right? And so the hat just kind of stayed. And then I think when the when this when the dress went, all of a sudden everybody realized the hat doesn't make much sense.
1: The hat doesn't go no with scrubs. It the hat doesn't go
0: with with scrubs with Care Bears on them. No, not at all. So you wanted to tell a little bit of your story about our experience. We had an actor in this film who we felt they wanted a Corey so bad for. And you wanted to talk a little bit about your experience with an actual Corey.
1: That's true. I did. So it's been, I don't know, five years maybe ago that we went to a midnight viewing of Lost Boys. And I guess at the same time that they had planned this at the local kind of independent... Um, theater had planned this event. Um, there was also a convention in town where Corey Feldman was going to be um, presenting or just there to sign autographs. So he was there to, he didn't really kind of open the movie, I guess. I mean, the movie was full of, as we sat there and waited, um, lots of old ads, lots of the pay per call, talk to a Corey um, phone call commercials. So, But then he comes in, full sunglass. It's a midnight movie. He's wearing sunglasses. He comes in through like... He is
0: dressed like Michael Jackson, flocked by all of his felled angels.
1: Yeah. It was really kind of tragic. He comes in through the exit door. This is right after or right before they play his music video for his song called Millennium in... At the very, very early... It's 2005. It might be 2010. It could be even 2012. So Millennium is not really a song that you need uh, 10 to 15 years after the year 2000.
0: And he is really going hard on his being the new Hugh Hefner at the time and was... Either on something or experiencing a bit of a manic episode, but it was, it was great to see him. He looked good, but it was, he, it was tough to watch. He, tough to
1: watch. He, he has aged well, um, that could be part of like just being kind of a, a small person. I don't know if there's some sort of some aspect of that. You just like stay small and stay like kind of ageless. But he was, he did seem like he was on speed.
0: But he ran with it. His handlers were trying to handle his Q&A and he just grabbed the mic and just went into the audience <laughs> and completely went off script. He gave so it the he full Feldman He experience. was hugging girls and taking selfies Whether with people. Whether they wanted it or not, it's
1: questionable. <laughs> it's questionable but he went
0: every girl there wanted to be hugged by a Corey.
1: i i didn't <laughs> i was okay i was fine um i was fine to be a spectator of the full
0: okay okay so then we went into my thinking that at eight years old i would have not been able to handle the concept of a thong and uh, knowing that I believe my first experience with a thong was weekend with Bernie's. And we did look up that that was at least one year after. So, so I'm, I'm very confident that, While I don't know if I was capable of handling a thong at at that time, that when I first did experience it, that at least it wasn't that early. And then, thank goodness, it was about four years later in 1994 when My Father the Hero came out, and that just has all sort of Katherine Heigl teenage thong problems in, in teenage brains at the time.
1: I'm completely unaware of that.
0: Uh, my sister was in love with that movie, and Catherine Heigl is sixteen. And yeah, it, it's. I was fifteen or sixteen, so it, it's probably not weird. But boy, it's complicated.
1: <laughs> she, th- we hear she's complicated.
0: <laughs> um. So the last thing we really have down here on our list of talking points is. We're talking about Jesse Spano, Elizabeth Berkley, and her overacting, and we're sure that some of you are just screaming, screaming, screaming at your radios right now, at your phones, why are you not going to do Showgirls, and we hear you, we understand, but we're going to save, we've already done Paul Verhoeven movie, we're going to save Showgirls for something special, it's not going to be an episode four kind of situation.
1: All right, so stay tuned. It'll be there for sure. Um it's it's a crazy ride and we are going to take it. Um but hang with us. We think that probably this next episode, we're going to stay in the realm of movies that were a little outside the realm for us um and jump into Romancing the Stone.
0: This is a movie where we're going to break open a new category of movies that were on a VHS tape with other movies that you were allowed to watch.
1: Right. So I don't know if anyone else's parents, my dad specifically, would tape movies off of TV. And the collection would not always be cohesive. There would definitely be this movie right before uh, um, a movie. I think it was My Fair Lady. I think. I'll I'll, I'll double check that. Next time at my parents' house, I will go into the closet that is full of VHSs. They're all still there and see if we can find the listing. I feel like we
0: had Lady and the Tramp followed by Animal House followed by Top Gun.
1: That seems even more of a crazy ride.
0: And we'll definitely at some point in this get into having... A screener. I don't know if you're familiar with a screener at all. But a screener is back in the day the VHS would be sent out to people that owned video stores. And this would have about an hour of trailers, a movie, and about another hour of trailers. And so Dad would bring home all of these screeners and just tape movies off of TV onto them. And so we did have our Star Trek V stopped and then about twenty minutes into Stripped to Kill Part Two, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, that definitely wasn't even labeled. I mean, mine, ours were labeled um, whether they were appropriate or. I, I don't. Sometimes some of the movies were like, "Oh, you're not supposed to watch that, but to be careful to like fast forward it." Or some of it was just like, "Ugh, why is this so boring?" Before I get to the movie that I want to watch.
0: So yeah, so we're uh, Michael Douglas making a comeback. We have first appearance of Kathleen Turner, who I feel like is going to show up again in How this. could she not? And uh, Danny DeVito? I don't know how often he's on the list yet, but maybe True. he should be more. Could be. Could be. So, going deeper, is there anything you have left before we put Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, to bed? Nope. All right. <laughs> well, pleasant dreams to everyone, and uh, we'll see you... In the jungle. In the jungle, yes. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye.